We're going to change it this morning again, what I just mentioned. This is uh, the song that we just sang. I want us to pray this to God in conversation. And for those of you who are familiar with Joseph's story, once he became a slave in Potiphar, that's the context of his life that we're dealing with today. He's already been sold. He is now in Egypt. He is now owned by another human being. But his God, our God, was with him just as he is with us today. And that's a focal point of where we are this morning. So not only hear these lyrics and this prayer that we're going to pray through Joseph's context, but hear it in your own context. So here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, when my hope and strength is gone, you are the one who calls me on. You are the life You are the fight that's in my soul. Oh, your resurrection power, it burns like fire in my heart. When the waters rise, I lift up my eyes to your throne. We are more than conquerors through Christ. You have overcome this world, this life. We will not bow down to sin or to shame. We are defiant in your name. You are the fire that cannot be tamed. You are the power in our veins. O Lord, our God, our conqueror. Nothing is impossible. Every chain is breakable. With you, we are victorious. With you, I already said that, we are victorious. You are stronger than our hearts. You are greater than the dark with you, our Lord God. Through your beautiful son, we are victorious. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now with that fresh in our minds and our hearts, let's read Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar... An officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. All that he had, he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. 
There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was when she spoke to Joseph, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. So it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment until her master came home, till his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. So it happened. As I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard these words, heard the words, which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. And showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. And that word right there, prosper, that's what I've titled this morning's sermon. In the Hebrew, the word means to thrive. When you look up thrive in our English dictionary, it means to prosper. Thrive means to flourish. It means to burgeon, to, to bloom. It has the idea of growing vigorously and developing well. So when we bring it into the context of plants, we can see a plant, a crop that is prospering. It is developing and growing well and vigorously. It's, it's flourishing, it's blooming, it's going to bring about the fruit for which it's been created. So this whole idea of thrive is going to be this overarching umbrella this morning. And here's, here's kind of the flow. We'll, we'll uh, comment here in Genesis 39, and then we're going to end up sitting in 2 Timothy in the New Testament. And I learned this idea a long time ago from listening. In fact, I was listening to John Corson. He'd say this often. For every New Testament principle that we see in the Bible, there's an Old Testament picture that helps us understand that idea. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the picture we're going to look at the picture of Joseph in the Old Testament. And then we're going to turn to the New Testament and see the same principles that we're witnessing in his life. Receive that same instruction through principles in the New Testament. But here's the main thought as we go through any time that we gather together. If we miss the person, Jesus, then we, we miss the entire thing. 
If we're only focusing on an Old Testament picture so that we can better ourselves and whatever that is so that we can learn something. If we're only sitting in New Testament principles, here's the, here's the things that we're supposed to do, here's the things that we're not supposed to do. If we're just sitting in that and we miss the person of Jesus Christ, we've missed it. So even as we sit in Joseph's life, as we watch him thrive, everything is based upon this repetitious sentence in chapter 39 of Genesis, which is what? The Lord was with him. Now sit in his context. Do you think he felt like the Lord was with him? Do you feel like the Lord is in this room right now? Did you feel like the Lord was with you as you woke up this morning? The events that you went through last week and the last year and the last decade? Often we see the Lord pop up in different circumstances in life. You know, in those big moments when we're crying out to him and we need to hear from him. We're crying out to him. We need him to lead us and to respond to us. So those moments where when the, you know, life is falling apart in some context, that that's when we run to the Lord. Or if we have a good relationship with them, it's as we've done this morning. We've come into this place together to what? To enter into the presence of the Lord. But there's a, the reality is we never leave God's presence. He is always with us. And that's where this begins with Joseph's story, even in chapter 37, as he is being favored by his father. The Lord has wired Joseph in a certain way, and he's been with Joseph from birth to cause this man to thrive, to grow, to develop, to be the man that God has created him to be, to fulfill the purposes and the plans that God has not only for Joseph's life, but for his family's life and for his community's life. So God has been with Joseph the entire time while his brothers are hating him, while his brothers are plotting his murder, while his brothers determined to sell him into slavery for the cash. Last week we sat in Judah's miserable sin-filled life. And again, that gives us a backdrop to see how brilliant Joseph truly does glow and shine the Lord in this chapter and throughout the rest of Genesis as we watch all of these events transpire. But here, the Lord was with him. And it's that foundation, the Lord was with him. That's why he was thriving. That's why he was successful. He wasn't successful because he went to the right school. He wasn't successful because he's caused himself to be successful. He's successful because he's pursuing the Lord in his life. And there's a lot of missing information that we don't have. We don't have Joseph's prayers. We don't have his worship. We don't have how the Lord has responded to him. We don't have the Lord showing up to him in a physical way that he showed up to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see the dreams that God gave to him in chapter 37. But we don't have all the details of his life. But again, as we sit in a picture, we can sit in those New Testament contexts. We know that this man was a worshiper of the true and living God. We know that the first 17 years of his life, he is being steeped in the God of his father, Jacob. As Jacob is raising his son, he is communicating to him, this is who the Lord is. 
son, this is who my God is. And as a 17-year-old, and he finds himself hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, in an absolute physical pit, a mental pit, a spiritual pit, what do we see this man doing? 17 years old. He's thriving with Jesus. He doesn't know Jesus by name, but Jesus is God. And Jesus is with him in this context. And he's causing him to grow. And not just to grow at a slow pace, but vigorously. So in this, we don't know how much time he's in as, as a slave and in the household of Potiphar and how much time he spends in jail. Most of the commentators lean towards he's spending most of, there's 13 years from the time that he's sold into slavery until the time that Pharaoh lifts him up. There's 13 years. Most think he spends most of those years in Potiphar's house. So there, as Potiphar buys this young man for whatever reason, who knows what these traders know about Joseph, know about his personality, but we're told that he's good looking, so maybe he's shapely, he's strong. Potiphar picks this man. And no doubt the Lord is moving behind the scenes in Potiphar's life without him even knowing it to buy Joseph. And as he's watching Joseph, he's commanding him, he's, he's telling him what to do as a slave. In the midst of Joseph's slavery, what is Joseph doing? Forget you? Sitting in misery? Sitting in depression, I can't believe my brothers did this to me. I'm not a slave. I'm the, I'm the child of Jacob. I'm the grandson of Isaac. I am the great grandson of Abraham, the man God chose. I am above this. What does Joseph do? Obviously, he is serving faithfully, and diligently with whatever it is that the Lord placed into his hands. And this is the whole idea of hand. So it's, it comes up multiple times here that what Potiphar put into his hand, what the jailer put into his hand, this is the idea of authority. This is what you have power over and control over and possession over in your responsibility and your relationship with the God who has created you. What is it that he's put into your hand to do? As a steward, as a servant, as a child, as the bride of Christ, what is it that he's put into your authority? What has he told you to do? And then how are you doing in the midst of that? Is he causing you to thrive? Are you floundering? Are you failing? Are you, be, are you depressed? I can't believe that this is what he wants me to do with my life. I am better than this. Doesn't he know my giftings? Don't these people see what the, the great potential I have? This is beneath me. Do you gripe? Do you complain? Do you grumble? Do you wait to only be called the CEO before you're called the janitor? Again, yeah, think, about, think about your context and think about your heart. Think about your marriages. Think about your parenting. Think about your workplace. Think about your community. We live in a culture that it's all about me. What do I get? How am I served? 
How am I getting it my way right now? What am I getting for free? I don't need to pay everything. Everything is owed to me. This is the, this is the culture we live in. This is the, the mindset that we grow up with here in America. Everything is owed to me. I deserve I deserve the car now, I deserve the house now, I deserve the marriage now, I deserve the kids now, I deserve the job now. Gimme. And this is but this is the mindset that we all have to fight against because we know who our Lord is. We know that this life is not about materialism. We know that this life is not about titles. That it's not about the job that we have or the home that we live in or, or whether or not our kids are doing well or not. Our life is about God only. I love this reminder. We watched this video about the, the marriage night that was here on Friday night. But just this idea, like your marriage is not about you as husband and wife. Your marriage is about Jesus Christ. Your education is not about you. Your education is about Jesus Christ. Your work is not about you. Your work is about Jesus Christ. The paint on your house, it's not about the paint on your house. It's about being a good steward and taking care of the things that Jesus Christ has given to you so that on all things, little and big, that we bring glory to him. This is, this is what is in your hand. What is in Joseph's hand? We're watching God cause him to thrive because Joseph is dead set on following after God regardless of the circumstances. And his circumstances are miserable. I can't imagine what it would be like to be abandoned by my family. My daughter graduated from high school on Friday. We're out here uh, getting family pictures taken last night. And we all grabbed hands. My parents, Julie's parents, my sister, her brother-in-law. Julie's brother and family are missing because they're back in Utah. But here we are, hands held, praying to our almighty God. And just how humbling that is. That not only are we all saved, but we're all thriving. And not because it's we're going through our list of do's and don'ts. It's because of that recognition that God is in our presence. And how beautiful it is to have God in our presence. And what we watch with God, with Joseph, blessing him, causing him to thrive, to be successful. It uses this phrase in verse 5 that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's household for Joseph's sake. And this, this sentence right there, this is, this is the gospel being fulfilled in Joseph's life in his context. Because the gospel comes from Genesis chapter 12. And the gospel, we're told, it comes out of Galatians, that God told the gospel to Abraham when he promised Abraham, you will be a blessing to all the nations. Because ultimately that blessing is leading up to Jesus Christ. But here we're watching God bless others, bless Potiphar, bless Potiphar's household, whether he deserves it or not. Because of who is present in Potiphar's household. And this is one of those amazing ideas as a child of God. Do you not know that your home, just you as a believer in Christ, a singular individual in that home, thriving in your relationship with Jesus, he's going to bless your household. 
He's committed himself to it. That doesn't mean it's going to be money. That doesn't mean it's going to be perfect relationships. That doesn't mean the trials and tribulations of life are not going to come. But he's going to fulfill his promise. And his promise is, I will bless you in Christ in all of these things. So we sit in all this amazing. You can sit in his, the, the, the circumstance of his slavery. We watch God be continually present with him from the beginning of his life and every single day. We're watching God cause him to thrive. We're watching Joseph do the due diligence in life with what has been placed into his hands that he is serving the Lord first and foremost above Potiphar and above anybody else. We're watching the Lord bless not just Joseph but those around Joseph because of the light that he is in the darkness. And then we get this description in verse 6 that says that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And this is one of those repetitious themes in the Bible. Whenever it says that somebody's good looking in the Bible, trouble's coming. Saul was good looking. David was good looking. Absalom was good looking. Sarah, Rachel, Tamar, David's daughter, Abigail, Esther, Every single one of the people that the Bible says that they were beautiful on the outside, that there was something desirable, attention getting on the outside, trouble came into their lives. And this is where we're going to sit in the, the temptation that Joseph is going through here is substantial. Um, I want to make sure that we save plenty of time when we get into, into 2 Timothy. A lot of the instruction that we're going to read through in 2 Timothy is going to uh, speak right into Joseph's context. Um, but when it comes to temptation in our life, there's a few things that I want us to talk about before we move on. First, I want to read, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. When it comes to temptation in our lives, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. What that means is the temptation that you deal with is the temptation that I deal with, is the temptation that everybody in this room deals with. We all deal with pride, we deal with bitterness, we deal with anger, we deal with materialism, we deal with immorality. You name it, we're all tempted. We're not alone in this. It's common to each man and to each woman in this room. And I love this, but God is faithful. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear with it. So every temptation that comes across your path as you were following God, as you were following Jesus in your life, you were going to have temptations cross, cross, across your path. That sounds weird, but anyways, you know what I'm saying, right? And you've experienced it. His promise to us is those temptations that zing across your mind, those temptations that are right before you, whatever it may be, that those temptations, it's common to everybody. You're not alone. You are not unique. And in the midst of that, he has promised, he has obligated himself to give you a way out. He has obligated himself to, I'm not going to lead you 
this direction, knowing that you are unable to stand in the face of this temptation that's coming your way. Our God has promised to us, I will not lead you there. Therefore, I will lead you around or over here. I'm going to hold you up here until you've grown and that you're mature enough. I am not, as your God, going to bring anything and allow anything into your life that's going to cause you to wither and to fail. God is there to defend us. He is there to protect us. He is there to bless us. He is there to make us just like him in all of his holiness and all of his glory in this life. The temptations that you fail in, it's not God's fault. It's your fault. Where I have succumbed to temptation in my life and willingly chose to sin, that is not God's fault. That is my fault. That is my choice. That is my sin. And I am the one who goes to Jesus Christ to confession. Cleanse me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Strengthen, change, mature. Cause me to be successful. I don't want to keep failing in this. I don't want to do that again. I hate what you hate and I love what you love. Change me. Cleanse me. And again, we have this promise. He is obligated. He is faithful and just to cleanse us. We talked last week. Though our sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Why? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So in these temptations, in our life, I mentioned at the very beginning of this that we are not to miss the person of Jesus Christ. We are not to miss the person of God, our Father. We are not to miss the person of the Holy Spirit as we process through these things. Because the first thing that Jesus tells us to do when it comes to temptation is to pray. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, when he is, his disciples, well, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, but another time in Luke, the disciples, Jesus, teach us to pray. We want to pray like you. In that, he gives us a line, ask God not to lead you into temptation and ask God to deliver you from the evil one. Whatever that temptation may be, Whoever the evil one may be in that moment, whether it's Satan himself, whether it's another human being, whether it's your own dark heart, Lord, as I'm following you, you've promised not to lead me into temptation. You are not going to tempt me to sin, but I'm following you in life. And as I follow you, you're, you're leading me through this world. Temptations are gonna come across my path. Lord, deliver me. So the, the central is we are in utter dependence. I guarantee to you that Joseph is on his face, whether it's physically, whether it's just in his mind and his heart, that he is before our God multiple times in his life, in prayer, in relationship. Because this isn't just going to God and going through some little... Um, you know, formulaic prayer. It's coming to God in relationship. I depend upon you, God. I depend upon you to not lead me into temptation. I depend upon you that as I follow you and the temptations that are going to come my way that are common to everybody, I depend upon you not to give me more than I can bear. I depend upon you to show me in my mind, in my mouth, in my heart the way out. Show me, this, this person just hurt me, Lord. Show me not how not to be anger, like filled with anger and bitterness and hatred. 
Show me the way out. And sometimes it takes time. He's not going to give you something that's going to crush you over time. It's that, that burden may be there, that temptation, that struggle. But in that constant relationship with the Lord, Lord, I know what's right. I know your holiness. I'm rolling this to you. Take it away from me. I don't want this thought in my, my heart. I want this relationship to be reconciled. I don't want to pursue this darkness, dark thing of the world. Help me, Lord. And he's faithful in prayer. The second thing is his word. So in Matthew chapter 4, when we watch Jesus being tempted, what does he do? In response to every single temptation, he responds with, it is written. Now, in the midst of the temptation, did Jesus have to go open up a scroll and go find the passage? And here's what Satan is tempting me to do. And now I've got to find and go do my research. Oh, here it is. He didn't find it in the moment, right? It was something that was already in him. Jesus, by example, we know that he was in the word. Not just in the word, he is the word. But as his followers, again, this is why we go verse by verse through the Bible. We want the whole counsel. This is why we want you in devotion, whether it's morning or afternoon or evening, being in the word of God, not just listening to other people. But being in it yourself, hearing from the Lord, knowing what his word says, knowing what it declares about him, knowing what it declares about you in this world and how he leads you in life. It is his word that gives us the response to the temptation that comes across our path. How do I know that it's wrong to commit adultery? His word tells me. How do I know that it's wrong to steal? His, his word tells me. How do I know that it's wrong to lie? His word tells me. How do I know that it's right to love my wife? His, his word tells me. Now, there's a lot of things that we could sit there and reason through on our own. And you can go sit in the other world religions where they have all their little checklists. And they may have similar checklists to what we'll find about in the do's and the don'ts of the Bible. But what are they missing? The person. And that's why it comes back to, it's not memorizing lists. It's not memorizing verses and passages. If it's memorization, it's memorizing and being mesmerized by the one who has declared it. These are the words of my Lord. Just as I'm talking to him in prayer, I'm taking the time to listen to what he has, the instruction that he's given to me, so that when the variety of temptations come across my path, I know how to respond according to his truth. As we watch Joseph in this circumstance, without even having the, the law later on that's written by Moses, we are watching him love God with all of his heart, with all of his mind, with all of his soul, with all of his strength. And we're watching him love his neighbor as himself. His determination, his refusal of Potiphar's wife is based upon his love for God and his refusal to not just sin against God, but he also refused to sin against his master Potiphar, his neighbor. So we're watching him fulfill the law. Every, the, all the commandments of God hang on those two. Love God, love people. And we're watching this being demonstrated in his life. And you can pray all that you want. You can talk to God till you're blue in the face. 
You can sit in the word of God and read it from cover to cover. But if there is no action in relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going to fail in the midst of temptation. You can't just speak the truth. We have to live the truth according to his power, according to his direction in our life. For Joseph here, he not only, it says that he did not take heed to her words. She, as the mistress of the house, gave him a command as a slave. You sleep with me. He did not heed. He heard the voice. He heard the temptation. He heard the offer. And the first action that he did was, a, was the negative. He didn't. He didn't take heed. What was his second action? He ran away. That's kind of a pansy move, isn't it? Are we supposed to run? I thought we were children of God. Don't we stand and fight and lop off heads with the word and go against Satan and declare this and declare that? What are you supposed to do in the face of temptation? Sometimes you got to get out now. Move. In the face of temptation, are you alone? Go get around somebody. Pick up the phone. Go be with somebody. In the face of temptation, is somebody offer you know, your friends, your, your workplace, is your boss at work telling you to do things that you know you ought not to be doing? That is against the Lord. Leave. Run. Flee. So sometimes that fleeing is very physical. For Joseph's context, it was a physical running. Sometimes it's a mental running. No, I'm not going to think that. I am running away from that thought and I am pursuing the Lord. So sometimes it's mental. Sometimes it's spiritual. Running back to God in prayer, that fleeing. And same time, Ephesians chapter 6, we are told to stand. But we're not told to stand in our strength and stand against the temptation that may be right before us that we ought to physically run from. We are told to be strong in the power of his mind. We are told to be strong in the Lord. And again, this is the getting back to, you can sit in the picture, you can sit in the principle, but if we miss the person, if we miss the Lord, there's not going to be success in uh, overcoming and avoiding temptation and following the Lord in our lives. Because the strength does not come from within. The strength does not come from the person who's sitting next to you. The strength comes from the person that is continually present with you, which is your and my and our Almighty God. We are strong in the power of his might to stand against the wiles of the devil. And this is where the wiles of the devil, we don't have time this morning, but the first seven chapters of Proverbs, much of it's underneath this umbrella of what's called the forbidden woman. Which often, it's, it's, you have Solomon giving instruction to his son and all this, this, this language of instruction of telling his son to avoid this forbidden woman, whether it's adultery, whether it's uh, listening to the allurements and enticements of the culture and pursuing prostitutes or pursuing just sex outside of marriage. The first seven chapters of Proverbs over and over, there's this repetitious theme about avoiding the forbidden woman.
And again, we watch Joseph here as a picture of somebody being successful in avoiding the forbidden woman. But at the same time, there's another woman in those first seven chapters and, and later on also, but the woman is identified as wisdom. So there's a woman that we are to avoid, the forbidden woman, the woman that God says, and again, gals, you got to place this into your context. There's the forbidden man too. But in this, it's a, you have sin being personified as this woman, this woman that is coming to you with honey dripping off of her lips, flattering words, enticing you to come into whatever this sin may be. There it's dealing directly with adultery and with sexual immorality, but you can apply it to all sin and to all temptations. And then you have another woman's voice in this chapter, which is wisdom's voice, which this is wisdom. It says, God says, I possessed wisdom from the foundation of the world. Through wisdom, he established the world that we are to pursue wisdom, which is the right application of knowledge in our relationship with God. Well, here in Joseph's success in avoiding the temptation, fleeing from the temptation, not jumping into bed with the forbidden woman, the false accusation comes his direction. So even in the midst of his obedience to the Lord, in the midst of God causing him to thrive, now there's this major pruning. And he finds himself confined in a prison, physically bound with chains. We talked about this before and we'll step into it again here where while Joseph was in fetters and being hurt with chains, the word of the Lord was testing him. The word that God had conveyed through the dreams was there testing Joseph. God had caused him to flourish in this household even in the midst of his slavery now all that just got stripped away and he's now shackled again he's now at the bottom falsely accused but again in the midst of this we don't see him wagging his tongue and wagging his finger at God in accusation because the Lord's response here is that the Lord was with Joseph in the midst of that temptation in the midst of the false accusation, in the midst of Potiphar's anger, in the midst of him being bound and put into this prison, the Lord was with Joseph and he uses this word that he showed him mercy and he gave him favor. Mercy and grace. We see these ideas coupled throughout the word of God. Grace, we often, it's this, uh, the acronym, uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is this idea of God is giving to us things that we don't deserve. We don't merit. We don't earn. He is not obligated based upon our behavior to do something for us. That is what grace is. He's giving something and it's himself that he is giving freely to us. That is grace. This whole idea of mercy, mercy is usually identified with that withholding of punishment. Where grace, you're getting what you don't deserve. In mercy, you're not getting what you do deserve. That's true, but the fuller flavor of it is this word in Hebrew is hesed. And you see it throughout the Old Testament. What it means is loyal love. 
And it's God's love that he has obligated himself to love you with by his own free choice, not by your merit and your just deserts, but as our God, as our creator, how he obligated himself with his mouth to love Abraham, to love Isaac, the promises, the covenant that he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to their seed, his choosing and selection of Joseph to be the one that he's sending before the family to make this way down into Egypt in the first place. This idea of mercy that in the midst of this prison, in the midst of being confined, in the midst of not being able to get out of his circumstance and still pursuing that relationship with his God, in prayer and in the word and in action. Here God is being merciful to him out of an action of loyal love because of what God has communicated to Joseph. And this is, this is when we sit in the word of God and why we sit in it, this entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the record of his love for you and for me and for the entire world. In this, in this book, we find how God has obligated to love him, to love us. How God will continue to be merciful to you regardless of what your circumstances are. Regardless of what the temptation is, the confinement, the prison, the struggle with sin, the struggle with people, the storms of life, cancer, the bad relationships, you name it. He has communicated to us who he is. And it's who he is that is what flows out of his mouth. This is why Jesus is the very word of God. He is the word of God personified because he is God in the flesh. Ready? Turn to 2 Timothy. We're going to keep comments. <laughs> we, I, I'm going to keep comments to a minimal because we have about a chapter and a half that I'd like to read. In 2 Timothy, like Joseph, you have Joseph in prison. 2 Timothy is a letter from Paul while he is shackled and chained in prison that he is writing to Timothy a young man that he shared the gospel with, that responded to Jesus Christ, that became a loyal friend and assistant and servant of Paul. Here, this, uh, this, this is uh, Paul's, you could call it Paul's last words. Very, very important letter. Chapter two begins with this exhortation for Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Verse eight, remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Remember the resurrection. Remember what that preaches and communicates, the power that is dwelling in you because Christ is in you, Timothy. Exhortation of what he's to be reminding others, his own life experience gets down to verse 22 of chapter two. And this is immediate to the context of Joseph, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, 
faith, pursue love, pursue peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You sit in this in Proverbs, flee from the forbidden woman, but pursue wisdom. Pursue righteousness. We've talked to, spent a lot of time because the, the, the Old Testament spends a lot of time talking about righteousness, God's righteousness, what is given to us through faith in Christ. Pursue faith because you're going to have experiences in your life. Timothy and church, you're going to have experiences that faith is going to feel so small. Pursue love. Sacrificial love, brotherly love, it doesn't come natural. It must be pursued. Pursue peace. The temptation to be at odds in your own household and with the men and women in this room, the men and women at your work, your neighbors. Pursue peace, especially with those who call on the Lord. We're, we look at around this room. Every single, we're calling on Jesus Christ in the name of Christ. Pursue peace with one another intentionally. And here's the lit. Avoid. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. One that they just generate strife. Don't argue about junk. All it does is cause hardship. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. You can look at this as Joseph's response to Potiphar's wife. The words that he spoke wasn't seen as anger. It was seen as gently correcting. Maybe she'll repent. Maybe she'll turn away from her sins if she knows the truth. So that they may know the truth. And that they may come to their senses. And escape the snare of the devil, which is what we want everybody that does not know Jesus. We want them to come to their senses. To escape the snare, the trap, the enticements that come from the devil. And being taken captive by him to do his will, their true master of all those that are outside of Christ. And then there's a chapter three begins, know this, that in the last days perilous, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, go through this whole list, have, even having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Jump down to verse 10 of chapter three. It says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life. Again, I think we can sit in the description of Joseph here is purpose, faith, long-suffering, Love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I, I endured, and look at this. And out of them, the Lord, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Not because Paul's special, but because God is consistent. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you learned, you have learned and been assured of. Think again, think of Joseph. 
He learned things from his dad. He had to continue in those things on his own. You have learned these things. You've been assured of them, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, It's profitable for doctrine, which is for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, and I would also add thoroughly equipped for every temptation that comes across our path. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convict, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. What incredible words. Jump back up to verse 12 and this is where we'll end. Do you desire to live godly? Think about it. And think about what godliness means. Godliness is God-like. Do you want your mind, your actions, your mouth to image Jesus. Do you want your life to be godly? Again, not a list of do's and don'ts. Do you want your life to be filled with God? Do you want to stand on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ? Do you want to be held by your God in the good times and in the bad? Do you want to worship him in song and in psalm, in action, in service? Do you want to serve him? Do you want to sacrifice for him? Do you want to give yourself for him, for his namesake, for the message of his gospel? Do you want to live godly? Yes or no? Then no, for those of you who want and desire and pursue to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. You will be come against. The devil's going to come against you. Human beings are going to come against you. Your circumstances are going to come against you. 
Temptation is going to come against you. Your flesh is going to want to well up continually. You're going to want to crawl off that altar of sacrifice moment by moment of every single day. You know your history. You know how you're wired. You know the ruts of your thinking. You know where you're weak. You know where you're strong. You know where you're doing. You know where you're don'ting. You know where you're in rebellion. You know where you're in submission. And all of those blind spots that you have, the Lord sees you perfectly. And he's promised to lead you. He's promised to cause you to thrive in him. But it's a bold prayer to say, Jesus, come what may. Poverty, cold, lack of food. I mean, think about big things. War, famine, violence. Whatever you put into my hand, in Jesus, cause it to thrive, Father. Whatever you want me to do, no matter how small, no matter how big, speak to me. Show me. Lead me. Help me. Empower me. Conform me into the beautiful, image of Jesus Christ. I want to be holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Those that are singing that song in heaven have been made in his likeness in that perfect holiness. He has promised already through faith in Jesus Christ, you are holy and in the image of Christ now. Now God, until that day when we see you face to face, Grow us vigorously. I don't want slow growth, Lord. I want big growth. And if big growth means big sacrifices, Lord, I want you to be maximally, I can't pronounce English very well, but glorified, right, to the maximum extent. Whatever, like, you have created me, Lord, whatever that max is, to bring you glory, to, to cause others to worship you and to listen to you and to follow you, whatever that looks like for all eternity, however you want to use me, whatever it looks like, Lord, have your way. Is that your prayer? Let's stand and sing it then. Worship team, come on up. Father, you hear us, you see us, you're present. It is you who the one, you're the one who has given us life. You are the one who has given us not just existence, Lord, but abundant life through Christ. Even talking this morning of how, you know, sometimes we wake up tired and the body is weak. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak, Lord. You know our context. You know our needs. You know what you're doing. We submit ourselves to your plan and your purposes. And we're asking, Lord, that you would cause us to be successful, not for our namesake, but for your namesake. We're asking you, Lord, to cause us to remember your continual presence with us day in and day out. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. You are here with your favor, with your grace, with your mercy, with your loyal love, with your peace, with your holiness with your power, with your resurrection, with your words. You're here. 
worship you in love and in truth and in spirit. Amen.